Every night, one of them, probably chosen by ballot, ambled airily up the Eiderdown and over my face as I lay in bed, just to show me. The last straw came a few mornings later when I opened the bread bin and discovered a very small field mouse frantically practising high jumps inside it. He must have sneaked in there for a quiet snack, got himself trapped when the lid was put on, and then completely lost his head. He had been trying for so long to get out by means of those tremendous panic-stricken leaps that they had become mechanical, and when I tipped him out onto the floor, he covered the first few yards to the back door, jumping like a kangaroo, until he suddenly realised that he was free and shot out through the door like a rocket. That was the end. We had already tried to replace Blondin with another squirrel, and had we been able to do so, the balance between mouse and man might have been restored. Blondin himself we had found as a baby, lying injured under a tree, and we had never thought of him as a particularly unusual pet. Now, however, as we trudged the town pet shops inquiring above a murderous cacophony of yelping puppies, mewing kittens, screeching parrots and glugging goldfish, for a simple, ordinary little squirrel, it was obvious that the proprietors thought that we were mad. I knew the Regent's Park Zoo took us seriously, and they, in reply to our anguished pleading, informed us that they had a waiting list for squirrels. The only thing to do, as we abhorred setting traps for any animal, was to get a cat, and hope that after one or two short, sharp executions the mice would take the hint and go away. The trouble was we weren't particularly keen on cats. We were afraid that if we had one it would attack the birds around the place, some of whom had already become quite tame. In any case, we said, where would we find a cat with the amusing little habits with which Blondin had endeared himself to us? Things like biting through the case of Charles's watch to get at the tick, and chewing the corners off our library books, or the buttons off people's trousers when they came to tea. We hesitated, and did nothing. And then, one fateful Sunday morning, we were introduced to Mimi, a young Siamese queen who had recently come to live with the people down the lane. She was six months old and had been given to them by a woman who had gone abroad and been forced to leave her behind. She had been with them for just two weeks and already the effect on that unimaginative farm labourer's household where the dog slept outside chained to a draughty kennel and the ordinary cats, kept to catch rats in the outhouses, were never allowed indoors at all, was revolutionary. Mimi slept not only indoors but in Father Adams's armchair, on his corduroy waistcoat, which he took off specially for her each night before he went to bed. She was never allowed out after dark, or when it rained. Neighbours spoke in scandalised tones of seeing the old man himself tenderly filling an unmistakable earth box in the garden after supper. And now, in this hill village where men prided themselves on their toughness, within living memory they had held kicking matches on the green, and even now you would never catch one of them pushing a pram in his right mind, not even up a hill. And here he was, the oldest, toughest of the lot, parading down the lane as proud as a peacock with a Siamese cat in a harness of bright red rug wool. He apologised for the harness. Mother, he said, was going to buy her a proper one with a bell next time she went to town. Meantime, they had to use the wool because Mimi, he pronounced it my my, and it wasn't till months later when I was helping him make out the pedigrees for her first kittens that I discovered her original owner had named her after La Boheme. Mimi was in season for the first time, and had to be kept away from other cats. I stared at her in amazement. I had always heard that Siamese queens in that condition nearly drove their owners off their heads, yelling and screaming for a husband. 
and here was one standing in the road as quiet and demure as a nun, with nothing but a strand of rug wool between her and a countryside alive with ranting farmyard toms. I asked if she had a voice. Not half, she said proudly, bellowed like a ruddy bull when she wanted food, or for him to get out of her chair. But not for a tom. Class she was. She wouldn't so much as look at an ordinary cat. The harness was only so that he could pick her up quick if a tom attacked her. Class she certainly was, from her tapered black head, beautiful as an Egyptian queen carved out of ebony, to the tip of her elegant whip-tail. I thought she was the loveliest animal I had ever seen, and when the old man went on to tell us how she climbed the curtains like a monkey when the fit took her, perched on the rail and refused to come down, or went round the room leaping from the top of the piano to the mantelpiece like a racehorse, I knew I was lost. Here was Blondin all over again, with the added advantage, according to the old man, that Siamese cats never broke a thing. There was just one thing more I wanted to know.